0: CHAPTER TEN OF THE FALSE FACES This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Steve Mattingly THE FALSE FACES by Louis-Joseph Vance CHAPTER TEN AT BASE as the u-boat with motors dead and way lessening glided up alongside the head of that t-shaped landing stage and was made fast the wireless operator popped up from below saluted the commander and delivered a written message lanyard instinctively aware that this was the expected report from seventy-ninth street on dr paul rodyek quietly pulled himself together and took quick observations at best His chances in the all-too-probable emergency were far from brilliant, yet one might better perish trying, however hopelessly, than passively submit to being shot down. The lieutenant, waspishly superintending the work of crew and base guards at the mooring lines, stood preoccupied within an arm's length, while the landing stage was a fair six feet away. From its T-head to the shore, the distance was nothing less than 200 yards. Desperate action and miraculous luck might take the Prussian by surprise and enable one to snatch the service automatic from its holster at his belt, leap to the stage, and shoot away landward through the guards clustered there, after which everything would depend on swiftness of foot and the uncertain light permitting one to gain a refuge in the surrounding woodland without a bullet in one's back. It was a sorry hope. With cat-like attention, Lanyard watched the hands holding that paper to the binnacle light, large hands heavy and muscular but tremulous with drink and nervous reaction from the long strain and cumulative horror of the cruise then ending their aim would not be good except by accident none the less if the report were unfavourable their first gesture would be towards the holster signalling to lanyard that the moment had come to initiate heroic measures the bavarian was an unconscionable time absorbing the import of the message Bending his face close to the paper, the better to make out the writing, he read with moving lips, slowly, a doltish frown of concentration clouding his congested countenance. At length, however, he stood up, swaying a little, as he folded and pocketed the paper. Lanyard relaxed. The man was too far gone in drink to be crafty, too sure of his absolute power of life and death to imagine a need for craft. Since his hand had not immediately sought the holster, it would not. Turbid accents uttered the name of Dr. Rodiek. Lanyard stepped forward alertly. Yes, Herr Captain? New York says it has no knowledge of your intention to leave England on the Assyrian, but that you may well have done so. The Wilhelm Strasser will know, of course. It has already been telegraphed. Pending its reply, I am to detain you. How long? Lanyard demurred. As you know, transatlantic communications must now go by land telegraph to the border, by hand into Mexico, thence by radio via Venezuela to Berlin. All that takes time. Also, we may not signal New York, but at stated times of night. You will be detained another 24 hours at least, possibly longer. My errand cannot wait. It must. You will obstruct the business of the imperial government at your peril. I would incur still greater peril did I let you go, the commander replied nervously. With these swine-dogs at war with the fatherland, our lives are not worth that, should this base be betrayed. Do I understand America has declared war? Two days since, did you not know? The Assyrian's wireless room was under guard. The captain published no bulletins whatever. The Bavarian gave a gesture of impatience. You will remain on board for the night, he announced heavily. Pardon? lanyard insisted with every evidence of anxious excitement what you tell me makes it even more than ever imperative that i reach new york without an hour's avoidable delay i warn you think well before you hinder the discharge of my duty it is not necessary that i think the commander replied my thinking has all been done for me me i obey orders it is not my part to question their wisdom moreover herr doctor to my mind your insistence is to say the least suspicious even had i discretion in the matter i should hold you therefore you will keep a civil tongue in your head or go below in irons immediately he swung on his heel showing an insolent back while he conferred with his subaltern. and lanyard shrugged appreciation of the futility of more contention against such mulishness not that the bavarian wasn't right enough as to that one had really hoped for no better issue but every shift is worth trial till proved worthless and he was no worse off now than if he had submitted without complaint. Still one had chance to look for to aid and comfort in this stress, and chance, the jade, is not always unkind to her audacious suitors. Even now she flashed upon Lanyard a provoking intimation of her smile. He began to divine possibilities, and in this overt ill-feeling between the officers, advantage might be made of the racial hostility of Prussian and Bavarian. The commander's attitude and tone were consistently overbearing, if the words were inaudible to Lanyard. The lieutenant quite evidently submitted only in form. His salute was punctiliously correct and curt, and as the commander lumbered off down the landing stage, he grumbled indistinctly in Lanyard's hearing, "'Dog of a Bavarian!' "'The good hair, Captain,' Lanyard suggested pleasantly, "'is not in the most agreeable of tempers, yes?' the high-born and well-born lieutenant spat comprehensively into the darkness overside after a moment of hesitation he moved nearer and spoke in confidential accents and the fragrant air of the night was tainted with the venous effluvium of his breath always he prattles for his precious duty the prussian muttered damn his duty look you herr doctor months we have been on this cruise yes more than three months out of heligoland penned together in this ramshackle stinkpot isolated here in this god-forgotten hole seeing nothing of life hearing nothing of the world but what little the radio tells us sick of the very sight of one another's faces and now when we have accomplished a glorious feat and have every right to look for prompt recall and the rewards of heroes orders come to remain indefinitely and operate against the north atlantic fleet of the contemptible yankee navy the life of a dog and that noble commander of mine pretends to welcome it talks of one's duty to the fatherland, as if he liked the work any better than I, solely to spite me. But why? Because he hates me, the lieutenant snarled passionately, hates me even as I hate him. He knows how well. He interrupted himself to define his conception of the commander's character in the freest vernacular of the Berlin underworld. Lanyard laughed amiably. They are like that, he agreed, those Bavarians which inspired the prussian to deliver a phosphorescent diatribe on the racial traits of the bavarian people as comprehended by the north german junker to be cooped up god knows how long in this putrescent death-trap with such cattle he concluded mutinously it passes all endurance i wonder you stand it lanyard sympathized a man of spirit and good birth as one readily perceives though the life of a secret agent is not altogether heavenly either if you ask me he added gratuitously regard me now charged with a mission of most vital moment more than ever so since the yankees have shown their teeth delayed here indefinitely because your excellent herr capitaine chooses to doubt my word patience maybe your release comes quickly then he will regret or would had he wit enough there is no cure for a fool The sententiousness of this aphorism was unhappily marred by a hiccup. Anybody with eyes in his head could see you are what you are. The last of the operating crew piled up the hatchway, saluted, and hurried ashore to join in noisy jubilations. There remained on the U-boat only the lieutenant with the lanyard and two base guards detailed as anchor watch. I must go, the lieutenant volunteered. And believe me, one welcomes a change of clothing and a dry bed after a week in this reeking sieve. As for you, my friend, if it lay with me, you should receive the treatment due a gentleman. A wave of maudlin camaraderie affected him. He passed an affectionate arm through lanyards, and was suffered through the gorge of the adventurer revolted at the familiarity. I am sorry to leave you. No, do not be astonished. No protestations, please. It is quite true. I know a man of the right sort when I meet one the sort even I can associate with, without loss of self-respect. It is a great pity you may not come with me and make a night of it. Another time, perhaps, Lanyard said. The night may yet come when you and I shall meet at the Metropole or the Admiral's Palace. Who knows? Ah, sighed the Prussian, enchanted. What a night that will be, my friend. But now it is too bad. I really must ask you to step below. Such are my silly orders. I am made responsible for you. What do you think of that for a joke, eh? He laughed vacantly but loudly, and attempting to poke a derisive thumb into Lanyard's ribs, lost his balance. What a responsibility! said Lanyard gravely, holding him up. Nonsense, that's what it is. You have no possible chance to escape. Suppose I make one, tip you overboard, take to my heels. You would be shot like a rabbit before you got halfway to the shore. Ah but grant for the sake of argument that these brave fellows the guards aim poorly in this gloom where would you go into the forest naturally but how far you may believe me when i tell you not a hundred yards it is a true wilderness scrub oak and cedar and second growth choked with underbrush almost trackless in five minutes you would be helplessly lost with no stars to steer by we need only wait till daylight to find you walking in a circle you can't mean lanyard pursued learning something helpful every moment there is no communicating road the main woods road yes but that is far too well patrolled without the countersign you would be caught or shot a dozen times before you reach the end of it ah well with the sigh of a philosopher then i presume there's no way out but by swimming over to the beach you mean well what then you've got a twenty mile walk either way through deep sand and sure to betray your footprints at dawn we follow and bag you at our leisure you aren't discouraging lanyard complained i see i may as well go below and be good it's a dull life tell you what giggled the lieutenant leading his prisoner to the conning tower hatch and lowering his voice do just that go below and be nice and presently i will come back and we'll split a bottle what do you say to that eh colossal not a bad notion is it i like it myself one gets weary for the society of a gentleman you've no idea and as soon as my commander is drunk enough i will slip away how's that gossartig lanyard approved turning to dissent wait you shall see for yourself what it means to have the friendship of a man of my stamp the lieutenant raised his voice addressing the anchor watch attention heed with care this gentleman is my friend he is detained merely as a matter of form i do not wish him to be annoyed do you understand you are to leave him to himself as long as he remains quietly below, but he is not to come on deck again till I return. Is all that clear, imbeciles? The imbeciles, saluting mechanically, indicated glimmerings of comprehension. Then below you go, Dr. Rodiette, and don't get impatient. I will rejoin you as soon as possible. Don't be long, Lanyard implored. As he lowered himself through the hatch, he saw the Prussians stumble down the gangplank and reel shoreward. Well satisfied with his diplomacy, Lanyard lingered a while in the Conning Tower, closely studying and memorising the more salient features of the island of Martha's Vineyard and its adjacent waters and mainland as delineated on a most comprehensive large-scale chart published by the German Admiralty from exhaustive soundings and surveys of its own navigators and typographers with corrections of as recent date as the first part of the year, 1917 here the breach in the south coast line which permitted the utilization of what had formerly been an extensive freshwater pond as this secret submarine base was clearly shown and a single glance confirmed the lieutenant's statement concerning its remote isolation from settled sections of the island somewhat dismayed lanyard descended to the central operating compartment and scouted through the hold from bow bulkhead to stern making certain he enjoyed undisputed privacy and it was so every man-jack of the u-boat's personnel jaded to the marrow with its cramped accommodations unremitting toil and care unsanitary smells and forbidding associations having naturally seized the earliest opportunity to escape so loathsome a prison lanyard however was anything but resentful of condemnation to this solitary confinement his interest in the interior arrangements of submersibles seemed all but feverish as intense as sudden witnessed the minute attention to detail which marked his second tour of inspection. On this round he took his time. He had all night in which to work out his salvation. The wildest schemes were evolving in his mind, the least fantastic, utterly impractical, without accurate knowledge of many matters, and such knowledge might be gained only through patient investigation and ungrudging expenditure of time. It was now something past ten by the chronometers, He could hardly do much before dawn, lacking the instinct of a red Indian guide to guide him through that night-bound waste of woodland. So he felt little need to slight his researches through haste, except in anticipation of his lieutenant's return. And as to that, Lanyard was moderately incredulous. He expected to see nothing more of this new-found friend, unless the infatuation of the Prussian proved far stronger than his head. Turning first to the private quarters of the commander, a somewhat more commodious cubicle than that across the alleyway in which Lanyard had been berthed, his interest was attracted by a small safe anchored to the deck beneath the desk. To this Lanyard addressed himself without hesitation, solving the secret of its combination readily through exercise of the most rudimentary of professional principles. The problem it offered, indeed, was child's play to such cunning of touch and hearing as had made the reputation of the lone wolf open the safe discovered to him a variety of articles of interest some five thousand dollars in english and american banknotes of large denomination several hundred in american gold three distinct cipher codes one of these wholly novel in lanyard's experience and so he believed in the knowledge of the allied secret services the log of the u-boat and the intimate diary of its commander both in cryptograph a compact directory of german agents domiciled in atlantic coast ports a very considerable accumulation of German admiralty orders together with many documents of lesser moment. Rapidly sorting out the more valuable of these, Lanyard disposed them about his person and then confiscated the banknotes as indemnity for his stolen money belt, replaced the rejections and reclosed and locked the safe. His next interest was to arm himself. After several disappointments, he discovered arms lockers beneath the berths for the crew in the forward compartment, just after that devoted to torpedo tubes. Here, he selected a latest pattern German Navy automatic pistol with three extra cartridge clips and, after some hesitation, a peculiarly devilish magazine rifle firing explosive bullets. The latter he placed handily, yet out of sight, near the foot of the companion ladder. The pistol fitted snugly in a trousers pocket, its bulk hidden by the sag of his sweater. Some time later, the lieutenant, slipping down the ladder, found Lanyard studying with a convincing aspect of childlike bewilderment the complicated combinations of machinery which crowded the central operating compartment. Fresh from a bath and shave, and wearing a clean uniform, the Prussian showed vast improvement in looks, if not in equilibrium but his mouth twitched fitfully, his eyes wandered and disclosed a disquieting superabundance of white, and his tongue was noticeably thicker than before. Well, my friend, he said, you are truly disappointing. The watch said you had made no sound since going below. I was afraid of another of those famous naps of yours. With the prospect of a bottle with you, impossible. I have been waiting and waiting, with my tongue hanging out. "'Too bad. Why did you not look around? Help yourself. "'Why not?' the lieutenant demanded. "'Have I not given you freedom of ship? "'It is yours. Everything here, yours.' "'I want nothing but an end to this great thirst,' Lanyard protested. "'Then, God in heaven, why are we standing here? Come!' Releasing the handrail, the Prussian took careful aim for the alleyway door, launched himself toward it, slipped on the greasy metal grating, and would have fallen heavily but for Lanyard. Cursing pettishly, he stood up, threw off Lanyard's arms without thanks and made a new attempt, this time shooting headlong through the alleyway, to bring up against the wing table in the third forward compartment the kitchen and mess room in one. A great pity, he muttered, opening a letter and fumbling in its depths. Rotten pity. What? Keeping you waiting so long, not my fault. The lieutenant brought forth two bottles of champagne and one of brandy you open them Herr doctor like good fellow he said placing the three on the table i just wish you understand no discourtesy meant unavoidably detained beastly commander drunk give my word hopelessly drunk poor fool if my judgment is sound lanyard said this noble vessel will soon need a new commander true quite true the prussian placed two aluminium cups upon the table and half filled one with brandy and then brimmed it with champagne try that he said thickly that will keep your tail up my friend many thanks lanyard protested filling another cup with undiluted champagne i prefer one thing at a time unfortunate don't know what's good king's peg wonderful drink no matter to new commander prosit he drained his cup at a gulf to the new commander lanyard echoed and drank judiciously excellent how long can he last you think at this pace no telling not long too long for my liking. Shall I tell something?' He filled his cup again, half and half, and sat down, his wicked rat-like face, more than ever pale and repulsive. "'Not whisper of this mind, though I think Crewe sometimes suspects. He's going mad.' "'Not that Bavarian,' the lieutenant nodded wisely. "'If knew him as I know him, never be surprised, my friend. You think too much drink?' "'Yes, but not entirely. He keeps seeing things, hearing them, especially by night.' what sort of things faces the prussian licked his lips glanced furtively over his shoulder and drank dead faces eyes eaten out seaweed in their hair and voices he's forever hearing voices people trying to talk can't make him understand because mouths full of water you know but they understand one another keep discussing how to get at him he tells me about it i tell you it is hell to hear and talk especially when submerged as last night Then he hears them fumbling all over the hull with their stumpy fingers, trying to find way in, talking about him. And he tells me, and keeps insisting, till sometimes I seem to hear them too. But I don't. Before God, I don't. You don't believe I do, do you? His eyes rolled wildly. Why should you? Just so. Why should I? The lieutenant's accents rose to a shrill pitch. I have not his record. Still in training when he sent Lusitania to the bottom. Yes. It was he, second in command, in charge of torpedo tubes. His own hand fired that torpedo. He fell silent, staring moodily into his cup, perhaps thinking of the number of torpedoes it had been his own lot to discharge upon errands of slaughter. And the dead silence of the ship was made audible by a stealthy drip-drip of water from the seams and the furtive slaver of the tide on the outer plates. A shiver ran through the body of the Prussian. He pulled himself together with an obvious effort looked up with an uncertain grin and passed a shaking hand across his writhing lips all foolishness of course but gets on one's nerves constant association with men like that know what he's doing now or was when i came away sitting up with doors and windows locked and blinds drawn drinking brandy neat he can't sleep by night if sober or without light in the room if he does he knows they'll get him People he hears crawling up from the sea, slopping round the house, mumbling, whimpering in the dark. He broke off abruptly, with a whisper more dreadful than a shriek. God! And jumped to his feet, whipping the automatic from his belt. A footfall sounded in one of the after-compartments. Others followed. Someone was coming slowly down the alleyway, someone with dragging, heavy feet. The lieutenant waited motionless as one petrified with terror. The bulkhead doorway framed the figure of the commander. He paused there, lowering at his subaltern with haunted eyes ablaze in a face like parchment. So, he said, nodding, as I thought. It is thus I find you fraternising with one who may be, for all we know, an enemy to the fatherland. You drunken, babbling fool. Get ashore. His angry foot thumped the grating. Get ashore and report yourself under arrest. With no more warning than a strangled snarl The lieutenant shot him through the head. End of chapter 10